Matthew 13, 44 is where we're going to be in our main text today. And as you're turning there, I uh, just want to catch those of you. I mean, I am seeing some new faces. I'm seeing some old faces that have come back again. I'm just really grateful to be with all of you this morning. Uh, if you haven't seen yet, we are in our mission called The Greatest Mission. And uh, that mission uh, is uh, our new mission for our church. We've been working on refining it and uh, working on rolling out this new idea of, of what we're trying to do as a church. And that is what? To... Yeah, y'all sound so enthusiastic about it too. So overwhelming. Let's try that again. And while you're doing that, Luke, can you toss me the remote? Just throw that bad boy up here. Oh, okay. Let's, what's our new mission? Let's say it one more time. Yeah, this is why we, when we try to do too much as a church. This is great. Love God, love people, make disciples. So one of the things that we've done is we've intentionally taken the two greatest commandments that Jesus said were the greatest, and we've added in the great commission that we titled, and we get our what? Our greatest mission. And so we're not trying to boast in this. We're just trying to make a biblical argument that these are some of the best things that we can be giving ourselves to. And so three weeks ago, I talked about loving God. And uh, just how God actually loves us, he actually desires us. And there's supposed to be in us some sort of craving for God, some sort of longing for him. It's not just obligated, right? We're not just obligated in our relationship with him. That's the first thing. The second thing is love people. And Pastor Ethan talked about how to love people well. And then, and then Joseph last week talked about making disciples. And, and they have served us so well in preaching sermons that sermonize our mission and hopefully enculturize it as well. I just made up that word too. I make up a lot of words too, by the way, if you are new here. And so this whole time, there's just been this stirring, this fire just building in my soul as we've been talking through this, accompanied with this whole like praying and fasting for 21 days. Uh, some of you, this is, this is the day when you're breaking that and you're like, whoa, I'm ready to eat something, right? But I hope that you're just as hungry, if not more hungry, for God to move in power. Amen? So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll introduce our main text in just a little bit. But I'm going to have to tell you that we're going to touch the text, and then we're going to have to talk about this really big, overarching theme, and then we'll get back into the text. So it might seem like uh, he just mentioned it once, and is he ever going to come back to it? So you better, I'm going to dare you to just keep your finger in this for a while, okay? But let me, let me kind of introduce what we're talking about today first, and you're going to see how it all wraps together, Lord willing, by his grace, you'll see it. So today, the big answer that we're trying to, to find is, how on earth are we as Christians supposed to respond to this? What we've been doing, what we've been talking about, loving God, loving people, and making disciples, how that is going to be our mission, our purpose as the local church. How are we supposed to respond to this? Well, first let me start talking about the kingdom of God, okay? When you think about it, what were the, the what is, basically, what is the biggest or the most often topic that Jesus talked about in his life and ministry? What, what words come to mind? What phrases maybe? What things that he said were very popular or things that he repeated really often or themes that he talked about so often? What do we, what do we remember? Love. Love. Yep. That's a good one. What else? Forgive. What was this? Uh, the kingdom of God. Well, you just spoiled it, Aaron. Thanks. <laughs> so you're right. So here's the reality. A lot of times people say, oh, you know what Jesus talked about most? He talked about money the most. So you got to care about the money the most, right? And that's not true. 
Uh, he may have mentioned it a lot of times, but it was in reference to something else often. Okay? Uh, an honorable mention would be hell. If we try to go through Jesus' teachings and we ignore the fact that he often mentioned an eternity separated from God, then we would be ignoring a lot of his ministry and a lot of his message. But chief among all, above all, in Jesus' ministry, the theme and the topic that he talked about most was the kingdom of God. In fact, you would say that he was, it was central to his message above all. So the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, those were kind of interchangeable in Scripture for a few different reasons, some Jewish culture and background and stuff. But he, it's mentioned at least over 85 times in the Gospels itself. He's, he's the one who talked about it the most. And, and even after he, you know, kind of like did his whole perfect life thing, and then he went and died on the cross thing, and then he was buried in the ground thing, and then he rose from the dead thing, and he's with his disciples, he's still talking about the kingdom of God with them. Look at, uh, you can find that in Acts chapter 1. I'll, I'll get you there. Acts chapter 1. Look at this. After he had suffered, died, right, crucified, he also presented himself alive to the disciples by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking to them about what? The kingdom of God. But what on earth is it? What is the kingdom of God? And you know what's so ironic? We're kind of a people who want to be able to define it and get it into a tweetable phrase. Don't we We want to be able to say, oh, the kingdom of God is, right? In just one sentence, 240 words, if we can make that happen, right? Well, the reality is, Scripture never clearly gives a concise definition of what the kingdom of God is. It doesn't give us a definition in one verse that I could point you to. In fact, in Jesus' life and ministry, he never really defines concisely the kingdom of God. You know what he does? He describes it. He describes the kingdom of God. It's kind of like the difference between describing a dinner fork and beauty. Tell me a little bit about a dinner fork. What's a dinner fork? Exactly. Y'all nailed it. Yeah, it's a little utensil about yay long. It's got three or four or five prongs, depending on how fancy you are. A little handle, and you can stick it in some food, and you can put it in your mouth. It helps you eat. As simple as that, right? Everybody knows what that is. Talk to me about beauty. What's that? Oh, yeah, you can't exactly just say, well, beauty's just this, right? Well, beauty is also defined. You see, when we look at a sunset, we can say, there's something. That's That's beauty. I saw the sunrise coming up over the back house today. Beautiful. I saw my wife playing with my kids last night. I could point and say, no, there's beauty right there. That's that's beautiful. He points at the kingdom to describe it. And the way that he points at it, the way he describes it, is he uses things called parables. He talks about the kingdom in parables. Parables are these short moral stories that that are often expressed through imagery or illustration, and they describe something. They get at a point for something. So so let me uh, give you an example that is from Scott Brudd. It is not from Scripture, and you should not repeat it, okay? It's not something that you need to take away too far, all right? It's not scriptural either. It's just interesting. I was uh, going to a district pastor's meeting up in Harrisonburg on Tuesday, and I was driving through the city of Harrisonburg. You know all those folk are interesting. And I get there, I get to a stoplight, and this is what I see. How many uh, own a car like that? Ever, ever seen a car like that? What is it? It looks like a clown car, doesn't it? It's small. I mean, this is my truck. I'm like 200 feet above it. And, and it's, it's, what is that? Right? So they took a car, and I can't, so I can't see if you can tell, 
but they took the, the spoiler and put, made it teal. They took the back door and made it red. They took the fender and made it purple, and the whole other part of the car is yellow, right? It's not a very interesting, like, it's very interesting. It's got our attention. It's strangely interesting. Some people like, I'd love to have a car like that. And others of you like, I would never want a car like that. Some of you can identify that it's foreign. It is, it's a foreign car. It's actually not from the U.S. You want to know why? Because the steering wheel is on the right side. The guy's sitting there on this side of the car, and I'm sitting on this side of the car. It's like, how are you doing that, man? That's a foreign car. So, so, so not only is there something strangely colorful about this, something that some people might strange, strangely find attractive and others repulsive, but not only that, it's definitely out of the ordinary. I never saw another car like that in my life before. And not only that, we know that it's foreign. It's not from here. It's from a different nation. It's from Europe. You're right. It is a European car. Now, if you keep going with this illustration, it's going to eventually fail. So don't, again, because it's from me, right? So don't, don't take it too far. But the point is this. Jesus did this throughout his ministry. He, he used illustrations. He talked through uh, the, the kingdom of God and pointed at it with different illustrations and metaphors and whatnot. And so here's another question. You can provide some feedback if you'd like. What are some of the ways that you remember Jesus describing the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is like a pearl. Ooh, man, that's the verse. There you go. All right, what else? A mustard seed. What? It is built of gold. You're right. The the coming kingdom. What else? It, It is holy. You're right. What are some other parables? Huh? It's like yeast. Ooh, okay. You've been reading the text, man. Just let me get there, okay? All right. Ah, yeah. All right. So y'all, y'all know the context. All right, Jesus. Matthew 13 is like the passage to go to to talk about the ways Jesus described the kingdom. And so that's actually what he's doing in our text right now. He's describing the kingdom of God to people through parables. And so you, you see the weeds in the field, right? The sower sows good soil or seed, and then the enemy comes in and sows weeds. And, 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 and there's also this parable of the mustard seed, how the mustard seed's this big and really small. When you plant it, it grows bigger than any, uh, any plant in the field. And then not only that, but then there's also the, the, the parable of the leaven that, that infiltrates the 50 pounds of flour and leavens the whole dough. These are all parables that he's using to describe. And so that's all before this. And then verse 36, if you want to look there in Matthew 13, the crowds, they leave him, and they go inside the house. And his disciples approach Jesus and say, hey, hey could, you, could you explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us? And so the next part of this chapter in verse 37 through 43, he starts talking about and explaining the parable of the field, which is in reference to the nature of the kingdom of God. And then right after he explains it, we get to verse 44 through 46, and he tells us two really quick parables in a row that communicate the exact same thing. Look at it. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
So we're going to get to the meaning of these parables in just a little bit, okay, about the kingdom of God. And it's going to tie in in a way that you're going to see in our response to the mission. Trust me, you'll get there. But we're going to keep talking about the kingdom because these were parables about the kingdom. Now, when you think about kingdom, right, the kingdom of God, we, we aren't actually served well in our, in our current context in history because we don't really have many kingdoms around. I mean, we've got Great Britain, right? And we think of what? We think of uh, those red guys with the big poofy black hats and they're, they're guarding the queen and then it's this bordered geographical political nation somewhere on an island, right? Now, 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 that's what we think of when we think of kingdom, but the kingdom of God is not like that. Though the kingdom of God can take up space on the geographical level, and though there are borders to the kingdom of God such that there are those who are not in the kingdom of God and those who are in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God does have political realities to it, governing realities, simply put, the kingdom of God means His reign. R-E-I-G-N, his reign, his ruling, his sovereign actions. And this reign isn't strictly a space or a people, though the kingdom of God creates a space. It creates a realm like heaven. It, It creates a people, but the kingdom of God is his rule and his reign. And here's what's so crazy about that is, is, We've heard it earlier. What's one of the first things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God when he started his ministry? What did he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, Mark chapter 1. We'll go, we'll go there. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has now come near. Well, where was it? Where had it been? Well, you see, the thing is, Jesus' life and his ministry, the arrival of the Messiah, is the embodiment of the invasion of the kingdom of God infiltrating earth. You see, Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom. He is the initiator of the kingdom here on earth because the kingdom was always to be led by the Messiah, ruled by God's anointed one. And so as Jesus comes on the scene, he starts talking about the nature of the kingdom. He starts talking about the economics of the kingdom of God. So, like, for example, one of the things he says is the first will be last and the last will be first. Another thing he said is that blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. He started talking about the economy of the kingdom of heaven. And not only that, he started showing us that the kingdom of God is unlike any other kingdom the world has ever known. Because every other kingdom gets built on strength and wealth and power But the kingdom of God is built on grace, and it advances with compassion. Its throne is a cross, and its king reigns with a self-giving love. Unlike any other kingdom the world's known. And another striking, and I would say even confusing truth about the kingdom of God, is that Jesus' arrival was the arrival of the kingdom, but also a lot of his ministry and message was that the kingdom is yet to come. There's this already and this not yet. And that's kind of like the whole paradigm of the, the whole good news of the gospel, is it not? That's why the gospel is just so gospelicious. We have this sense of we're already saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We have been sanctified, we are being sanctified, and we will be sanctified. You remember Jesus told us to pray what? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. 
So Jesus starts out his ministry saying the kingdom has come near. It has arrived. But he also says you need to pray that it would continue to come. So the kingdom of God has come. It is currently coming. And in one day will fully come. And you see God's kingdom, his reign, it begins in the human heart. But it will one day extend to the ends of the earth. I think a lot of us understand Christianity and salvation to be thinking that, well, we're just going to leave earth for heaven. But the story of Scripture is actually quite reversed. You see, the, the message of the kingdom is not an escape from a bad earth to a good heaven, but it's God's reign coming down from heaven to earth. The focus of God's reign is in His people, and the scope of God's reign is all of creation. He is after worldwide domination. And Jesus came to prepare the way for the kingdom. And he also prepared a way for us to be in the kingdom. You know, one of the many great facets of this great salvation that Jesus has won for us as Christians is that as part of us receiving all that Jesus is, we are also given citizenship in the kingdom of God. That is part of our new identity as Christians, as disciples of Christ. So like Ephesians 2, you can see it here. For, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but come again, what is it? Fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. With who as the cornerstone? Christ Jesus. Jesus. Look at Philippians 3. It says this. Our what? It's in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been made citizens of the kingdom of God. Our primary allegiance is not to an American flag. It is to a Christian flag. And I hope I didn't offend anybody. Actually, I don't care. One of the essential components of what it means to be saved is that we're saved out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of death, out of Satan's dominion, and we are saved into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And what that means then, if God's kingdom is is his reign. It means that you and I, as Christians, we've, we've come to embrace, we've come to receive God's comprehensive rule and reign over absolutely every aspect of our lives. Did you know that's actually what it means to be Christian? We've received his reign. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot more, that sounds like a lot more than just simply asking Jesus into your heart. Don't it? I remember, so Joseph last week was talking about those where, where we can kind of preach a gospel in a way that we're just kind of creating verbal confessors, right? This sounds a little bit more comprehensive than just a verbal confession, does it not? Being born again means you get a new life, you get a new identity, the old you is gone, the new you has come, you get a, a new nature, you get a new family in the kingdom of God, and you get a new kingdom, and you get a new citizenship, as citizens of heaven, citizens of 
God's kingdom. You know, John Calvin, he said that it is the task of the citizens to make visible the invisible kingdom of God. Because again, again, what, what, what can't we do? I can't go knock on the door like this to the kingdom of God somewhere around the world. No, but we can point to it. And I can say, hey, hey, the way that you, the way that you sacrifice to love your wife or, 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 or the way that you generously gave to your own self-cost, right? Like, there's the kingdom. There it is. We can make visible the invisible kingdom, and that's our responsibility. That's actually our part. We can point to it. We can live it out. You can live it out in your jobs. You can live it out in in your families and in your schools and with your checkbooks and with your priorities and with your time. And and, and you you can bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ Jesus in every little part of your life because Jesus is king over every part of life. Remember how he started the Great Commission in Matthew 28? He said, all what? Authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. He's got all authority. He's king over all. And the way the kingdom of God is manifested in this world is when its citizens live in a manner worthy of the gospel of the kingdom as subjects to the king. In fact, isn't that kind of like the connection that, um, that Jesus made in the way that he taught us how to pray? He said, he said, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There's a connection between the kingdom of God and his will being done. In fact, in fact, where you see God's will being done, there you can point and say, ah, that's the kingdom. The kingdom, God's rule, is where and in whom God's will is done. So where God's will is done, there the kingdom is. So are you tracking with me so far? Some of you are like, uh, I just woke up like 20 minutes ago. Right. Some of you are asking, this has been pretty neat, Scott. But why and how, what is this about our mission? Like, what are you doing, bro? Here it is. If the activity of the citizens of the kingdom of God, you and me, is to be about doing God's will here on earth, just like it is up in heaven, what might the citizens be doing? Well, I don't know. Maybe the first thing on their minds might be loving God. Don't you think that would properly embody the kingdom just to show the the supremacy and the sufficiency of the king loving god oh that might be that might be first on the list well jesus said it was the first on the list what's the greatest necessary thing for humans to be doing loving god okay well oh so citizens of heaven should be loving god okay well then what else might they be doing ah 
What's the second thing Jesus said was the greatest thing that we can be doing with our lives? Love people. Somebody's catching. Somebody's got it. I've already... He said that's the greatest, second greatest thing, love God and then love people. So if we're going to embody the kingdom of God and do His will, we're going to love God and we're going to love people. And then, finally, those citizens of heaven who love the King and have found all their sufficiency in Him, in His supremacy and rule, and who, who, who care deeply about loving people, won't they... Make the connection, well, if I'm going to love this person the most, then I've got to get them connected to the king. Won't they make disciples? See, somebody got it. Isn't it fair to say, I was just saying, that the mission of this church, if done by God's grace and power, is accomplishing God's will, would that not then kind of in a way embody the kingdom of God here in this church? Yeah. That's it. Love God. Love people. And make disciples. Are these these like not the chief concerns of the king? Are they not what he really cares about? He said they're the greatest. Aren't these the things that when we see them, we can say, whoa, 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 there there the kingdom is. That's the kingdom of God right there. And not only that, but aren't these the very things that the king himself came to do and to do them perfectly? Why? Why why, why do you even have to do that? Why why, did the king have to come to, to, to be the first human to truly love God? and love people, and and to make disciples. Well, because no one else could. Because no one else could bring the kingdom. No one else could embody the kingdom of God here on earth perfectly. It had to be ushered in by God's perfect Messiah. And that's why Jesus' announcement of the arrival of the kingdom was in accompaniment with his arrival. He is the one who came to love God perfectly, to love people perfectly, and to reproduce himself into humanity through making disciples. You see, our part in the arrival of the kingdom of God is to repent and believe. Isn't that what he said here? He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. What's the command? Repent and believe this good news of the kingdom. You see, we as human beings are not inherently born into the kingdom of God. We're not naturalized citizens Because we had parents who were born in the kingdom of God, therefore we're now born in the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. You don't get citizenship in the kingdom because somebody else got it. And you're their descendant. 
We're not naturally citizens of heaven. We don't naturally love God. We don't naturally love people. In fact, we're quite opposite. If you actually take a good, deep look at your own heart, we're more concerned with our own kingdoms. We, we are seeing often that people are means to our own end for our own gain, and we naturally, inherently love ourselves more than others. We hurt people and use people, and we learn our ways from the world. And that's why Jesus said, if the kingdom comes near, you have to repent. You have to metanoia. It's change your mind. That's why repentance and faith are key components, elements of of getting that citizenship in the kingdom of God. Our minds, our faith, what we're truly convinced about, the deepest things in us get redefined. So like, you might start coming across this conviction like, man, I I really do make a really crummy God. I'm really not that important. I'm important, but I'm not that important. And man, I, I hurt a lot of people. And I keep trying to build up my kingdom, and it's just like castles in the sand. My goodness. Really, people don't exist for me. And this, re- this world really can't be all that there is. You start seeing these things churning. And wherever the kingdom of God is, what first established it in humanity was the repentance and belief. Turning away from a love for self and our kingdom to a love for God and His kingdom. It's turning away from using other people to loving other people. It's turning away from conforming to this world to actually being conformed into the image of Jesus. In fact, all of these things, every part of what we're trying to do here as a church family, all literally has to happen after the gospel invades. The... uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Ethan was preaching on loving people, and, and uh, as, as hard as it sounded, it's true, you just can't love people well in your own strength. You just can't. You just can't do it. It's not natural to you. And he said this over and over again, and he's like, you can't do it without the gospel. You can't do it without God's grace and his empowerment of you. And, and, and so, I, I, you know, I kind of just kind of, I didn't, I listened to the whole thing, brother. But I kind of rabbit trailed for like two seconds, and I thought, well, goodness, if that's the case about loving people, isn't it also true about loving God and making disciples? Come to think of it, none of what we're trying to do in our mission as a church can be done without first the good news of Jesus bringing in the kingdom, of of Jesus' perfect life and death and resurrection, of our dying with him and rising with him to new life with a new nature, new identity, and new citizenship. We cannot do anything in this mission, any part of what Jesus has commanded us, unless we first repent and turn from our own ways and receive all of Jesus. Our mission is simply a response to the gospel. It is not the gospel. And when we've rightly responded to the gospel, there's the kingdom.
I mean, in the reality, we talk about our mission to love God, love people, and make disciples now, and, and, and it's starting to ingrain our culture. But I hope that it's all with the understanding that there probably should be a little bit of a pretext before, and that pretext should be this. Because of the gospel of free grace in Christ Jesus, therefore, our mission is to love God, love people, and make disciples. Guys, we can't have mission unless we first have Christ. We can't have God's purpose and blessings lived out in our lives in the life of this church unless we first have and receive Jesus, the King. We can't embody the kingdom without first submitting to the King. That king who conquered death, who defeated Satan, sin, and hell, who makes us new, who heals our brokennesses, who fills us with his spirit. He empowers us by his grace, and he gently tends to us in all of his mercy. Guys, all that we are, all that we will be, all that we will do as this local outpost of the kingdom of God here on earth, all of it has to be centered around Christ At the center of the kingdom is the king. That's why we literally just had Jenny sing to us. Christ alone, cornerstone. Everything's built on him. Which means at the center of our faith is Jesus. At the center of our lives is Jesus. At the center of our worship is Jesus. At the center of our affections and appetites is Jesus. At the center of our mission and what we're doing in this world is is Jesus. And Jesus, he's the one who shows us how to love God. You don't get to define how you want to love God. Here's what I actually think I should do to love you, God. I'm going to go do all this stuff. And it's like, no, 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 just look at Jesus. He did it really well. Just do what he did, right? And what about loving people? Jesus shows us how to love people. You don't get to define how to love people. You got to look to Jesus to how to love people. And also, Jesus shows us how to make disciples. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't replicate yourself. You're not God. You're not Jesus. So here's what I want to do. This is, this is a really quick, uh, here's this. Let's jump over here, side note. And I want, to, I want to show you something really quick. And honestly, I'm not looking for a reaction. I'm not looking for oohs and ahs. I'm not looking like, well done. I don't care. I don't care about any of that. In the grand scheme of things, this little thing really doesn't mean anything. And at the end, we're not going to go to God and present this to him and say, hey, look what we did. But one simple way to communicate our determination as a church, to have our mission and everything that we're doing centered on Christ Jesus. is We are updating our logo. We're updating our branding as a church in response to this new mission. We think that it helps communicate a little bit more clearly what we're trying to do. And so this is what we're after. I don't care if you like it. Um, it's uh, been working with Luke for three weeks now, uh, or three months, sorry, and our board has been working together. We've come together that this makes the most sense as to what we're trying to communicate with the centrality of Christ and, and, and his brightness and in our response revolving all around him. And so what you can see is you can see these three parts of loving God, loving people, making disciples. They're all interconnected, all interwoven, but they're all revolving around Christ. So you're going to start seeing this roll out. I'm sweating, but I told you, I wasn't looking for that. Um, Three parts to this one mission. To make visible the invisible kingdom of God here in our community and all around the world. All centered on Jesus. And so if the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign, and if His rule is His will being done, 
then the kingdom citizens will be doing what he wills. And his will is that we love him supremely above all. And then that sends us out to loving people. And then that causes us to tell them about Jesus and to bring them into a relationship with him. That sounds reductionistic or overly simple, but it's not really, trust me. So we will give ourselves through Christ, to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We will give ourselves to loving people with these great acts of redemptive mercy and self-giving. And we will commit to making disciples of Christ, immersing them into the relationship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit through the evangelism of the gospel and teaching them all that, we have, uh, that our King has told us to do. These are arguably the primary activities that embody the kingdom of heaven and of its citizens. Now let's get to our text. (laughs) If all of that is the case, what what do these parables mean? What is Jesus saying about the nature of the kingdom of God? Let's read it again. Verse 44. Did you keep your finger there? I told you to. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. Two different parables or metaphors with the same single point. Here's what it means. The kingdom is something worth giving everything for. The kingdom of God itself is something that is worth giving everything else to have. So let's just walk through this story a little bit more in detail. Let's just picture that you're walking through a field one day, taking a nice frolic in it, and, and you, you stumble upon this, this box, right? And, and you, you open it up, and in it you find this treasure, this treasure that is more valuable than anything that you could ever work for or attain in this life. Now, th- don't think that this is too far-fetched. We have banks. They didn't have any banks, right? They just took their treasures, put it in a jar, and said, yeah, you're good. We'll go out in the field. Nobody's going to find that, right? Well, this guy finds it, right? And he finds that it is, it is more valuable than everything that he ever could have or ever will have in the future. And so you're you see this treasure, and you're like, first, you take like an hour to process, like, what? This is here. And you look around, and you say, nobody, nobody sees me. And what do you do? You cover it up. You, you grab some branches and some sheep, and you cover it, and you let it, let it sit there, and, and nobody's going to know. And you run home real quick, and, and you start taking everything, right? Uh, oh, that's not good. Uh, you get rid of this. You say, hey, hey, does anybody want to buy this? I want to get rid of it. I need to buy that field. Yeah, and so you start selling everything you've got. And, 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 and your family starts coming close. And your friends who have known you for a while, they say, bro, what, what, what are you doing? You tell them, oh, I'm buying the field over there. I'm buying that field. And they just look at you like you're... You're just a moron. 
That's ridiculous. That's like the worst investment. Why are you giving everything away that you have just for that field? Then a little grin shows up on your face. You say, oh, I've got a hunch. I've got a hunch. And you smile and you walk away and you continue to abandon everything, every treasure that you built up in this life so that you could have that field. Why? Why do you smile? Because you know. You know that in the end, you are not really giving away anything at all. Instead, you're gaining Yes, you're abandoning everything you have, but you are also gaining more than you could ever have in any other way. So with joy, with joy, you just get rid of it all. You abandon it all because you have found something worth losing everything for. And and the nature of these two parables, there's only one real difference. In the first parable, the guy stumbles across it in the field. The second parable, the merchant is searching for it. So regardless of who you are, whether or not you expect to be finding something of treasure, you're seeking for it, or you're just kind of lollygagging in life, and all of a sudden, oh, well, there's the kingdom, right? Like either way, you find that the kingdom is something worth losing everything for. And so you then respond in committing yourself to live as a kingdom in the king, as, a, as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And you start participating in his kingdom's priorities and, and in his mission. And all, all of that, all of that is more valuable than any treasure you'll ever know. You see, the kingdom of God is going to be full of people who counted the cost and found that the rule and the reign of God is to be a counting everything else as lost kind of treasure. The kingdom of God is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing anything to have it. To see it. You know, David Platt in his book, Radical, said this, Do we really believe that Jesus is worth abandoning everything for? Do you and I really believe that Jesus is so good, so satisfying, and so rewarding that we will leave all we have and all that we own and all that we are in order to find our fullness in Him? Do you and I believe Him enough to obey Him and to follow Him wherever He leads, even when the crowds in our culture and maybe even in our churches turn the other way? If you couldn't tell yet what I'm looking for, Scratch that. doesn't matter what I'm looking for. What Jesus is looking for is a radical Christianity. A kind of church that makes complacency in Christ the abnormal thing and radical sold out living for Christ the normal thing. A kind of church where people complain about being there because the people there were just, man, they're they're too serious about their faith in Christ. Jeez, I don't want that. I want something easy. I want something to go along with all the other things that I want in life. I'd be okay being that kind of church. Would you? That means we might be small for a while. I don't mind. Because the reality is we're all willing to just put everything on the line for the kingdom that we found. I have one story, and then we have to respond John Patton, he lived in the 18 and 1900s. He's relatively unknown among us today, but 
but he served for 10 years as a pastor of a growing Scottish church. But, but God started beginning to fill his heart with this burden for the, the islands of the New Hebrides. It's a group of Pacific islands filled with cannibalistic peoples and no knowledge of the gospel. And so he set his heart on this one particular island, right? And, and it turns out that 20 years earlier, uh, missionaries, two missionaries had gone to that same island. And when they arrived, they were killed and they were cannibalized. For those who don't know, that means they were eaten. So it was no surprise then that many started to try to dissuade Patton from, from even the thought of following in these missionaries' footsteps and going to this island. And Patton, in writing in his journal, he said, Amongst many who sought to, to, to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument was always this, The cannibals! You'll be eaten by cannibals! John Patton's reply to this man, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years, I see now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make little difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. The old man left the room, exclaiming, After that, I have nothing more to say. At the age of 33 years old, John Patton traveled to the New Hebrides with his wife. The journey wasn't easy. His wife and his newborn child died within months after arriving, and he found himself alone, digging their graves with his bare hands. He faced threat after threat upon his life, but in the years to come, countless cannibals across the New Hebrides came to know the gospel of peace in Christ. And all around the world, from Australia to Scotland to the Western world, was all challenged to rise up and make the gospel known among the peoples who are toughest to reach. Is, is that not what we prayed for as a church this morning? Church? Would you send out labors into the harvest field, especially in the unreached places? You see, life in the kingdom, serving the priorities of the king, is worth giving everything you have for. Now, I'm, I'm, you might be saying, but that, does that mean I have to go to the New Hebrides? Does that mean I've got to go to the highlands of Papua New Guinea or to the Middle East? Well, maybe not, but it does mean that if Jesus asked you to go, you'd be willing to. Guys, with, with, with this refined mission laid out, and I hope you understand the, the nature of where it falls in line of our response to Christ and His gospel. And, and, I, and with it laid out, we have to be convinced. I hope and I pray that we're convinced of the value of picking it up and tucking it into our hearts and saying, I'm going to make this my own. I'm going to repent of all of my idols. And I'm going to know my unique part in this mission. And I'm going to partner together for the sake of the gospel of the King and His kingdom. Guys, the call is clear. And the time is right now. Guys, like, let's just think about it. What else are you going to give your life for? Like a, a nice 401k? Uh, uh, right, what else are you going to give your life to, right? Like, 
binge watching TV shows, that's something we now brag about as a culture. Oh, I watched this many shows in this little amount of time. Like, like, is that really worth something giving your life for? Jesus has rescued you. Jesus is king. And in all of the authority that he's given us, and all the authority that he's been given, will you give everything you have to make visible the invisible kingdom of God? Will you love God? Will you love people? Will you make disciples? Usually we have a time where we pray together as a church. That's going to be this time, right here and right now. I, uh, I hope that you've heard the call. I hope that you have become convinced that, that the kingdom is something worth losing everything for, something worth giving everything up for. But what's the thing that's in the way of you giving it up for? What is it that you say, yeah, I see that, but fill in the blank. There's your idol. That's where you need repentance. I'd be willing to give everything up, but I've got this. Throw that on the fire. So I'm going to ask you guys to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And, 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 and there might be two ways to respond to this. right? The first one is, well, what are some things that I need to repent of? Right? What, what, is, what is the idol that I'm holding on to that I'd rather have than the kingdom? Because you remember, the kingdom of God advances on the back of repentance. So what do you need to repent of? Maybe, maybe that's something that you need to be, re- some way you need to be re- responding right now. But, but in another sense, another big question to ask is, what's your part? You can't do everything in the kingdom, but God's given you something. And what is it? What's your role? What can you do to contribute? And so, as Luke comes up and we're going to have some, some music going, I just want to encourage you to engage with God. Maybe it's something that you need to repent of, right? That's keeping you from full life in the kingdom. Or maybe, on the other hand, it's like, I just need to know my part. I want to and I'm willing. I just need to know my part. What is it? So if you'd bow your heads and you'd be praying, God, I believe, I believe we'll meet with you there. And so with that, please be praying right now and asking for clarity in this.